Glad you're here with us. Thanks to the band, uh, which seems a little self-serving because I got to play tonight. But thanks to the band for setting the stage. Uh, it's really not setting the stage. That's the wrong way to say it. Uh, as though the stage is the sermon, because the stage isn't the sermon. The whole thing is a journey together, and they uh, have pointed us in the right direction very faithfully. If you have a Bible nearby, let's turn together to the book of John. We're going to flip the lights on for us and uh, get to where we can see the scriptures. Um, John chapter 13 is where we're going to start. And uh, looking at uh, a subject tonight that I believe is um, incredibly important, uh, it's very practical. Um, we've dealt with a lot of important topics this semester regarding God's character and attributes and things. And um, last week, uh, we didn't really start a new series. We're kind of in between that series and Advent starting a uh, week after next. And um, really just sort of following the Lord's lead on these. And this is sort of a branch off of last week a little bit. Um, But we're going to look at something that happened with uh, Peter, um, one of Jesus' disciples. This is, uh, we start off before the crucifixion and resurrection and all that, and then we'll jump to afterwards. But uh, starting in chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, him being Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So we see a, a pledge that Peter makes to Jesus. Um, Jesus has been talking about his, his death. He's been preparing his disciples for what is about to happen, uh, saying that he's going to go away and that he has to go away. Uh, it's for their good uh, that God will send another, which would be the Holy Spirit, to come. And so he's preparing his disciples for what is ahead, probably sensing that they that they're, they're kind of aren't really totally understanding uh, what's about to happen. And uh, in the midst of this, he's like, well, you can't follow me here. And Peter says, no, I'll, I will always follow you. And Jesus makes this prophetic um, statement when he says, well, actually, you're going to deny me three times. Um, before, before sunrise tomorrow, actually. Uh, before, before the sun comes up and the roosters begin to crow, it'll, you'll have three, three denials before most people are up, you know. He's like, oh, there's no way, there's no way. So flip over to verse 18, uh, chapter 18, or scroll over, I guess, for some of you. It's chapter 18. So after Jesus has been arrested, tried, uh, found guilty, tortured, executed, um, and the disciples are kind of left really confused, even though Jesus told them it was going to happen, they still kind of don't know what's going on, and Um, In chapter 18, verse 15, so Simon Peter followed Jesus, uh, and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. Okay, I apologize. I said that this already happened. It hadn't happened yet. My bad. Okay. Okay. Peter stood outside the door, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was standing and warming himself. So Peter, who previously had said that he would follow Jesus anywhere, here someone tries to tie him to Christ, says, aren't you one of his disciples? And he says, no, I'm not. And he goes over and he stands by a charcoal fire and begins to, to like warm up. Um, so already he's broken his promise to Jesus. In verse 25, 
Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you, uh, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So, my, my jumbled up timeline aside, Peter promised Jesus that he would always follow him. Jesus says, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the morning. And then we see it happen. Bam, bam, bam. Right in a row. Uh, this, is, this is Peter. You know, This is uh, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples on the planet. This is the one who would go on to do such amazing things that, his, that the church would be literally built on his uh, leadership. Um, and he's made a commitment, a promise to Jesus, and then not only breaks it once, but three times in the face of, you call it persecution, you call it whatever. Um, I think that what we see here is a massive issue with us um, in dealing with failure. Failure is one of the most common human experiences that we have. And uh, unfortunately, very few of us know how to deal with that in a, in a good, healthy way. Um, I was listening one day uh, to an interview that was done. It was addressing the, the problem that, uh, or the problem that is arising in our country. Uh, I guess we have bigger problems than this. But uh, kids aren't playing baseball anymore, you know. And so it was like this uh, panel discussion on like, why is this happening? And uh, there were a lot of different issues that were thrown around and the baseball coach at Southern, uh, Roger Cador, uh, he made a statement that I, it really stood out to me. He said that, that he thinks that baseball teaches a lot of important values to young people. He said especially uh, it teaches them how to fail. Because in baseball, you fail a lot more than you succeed. And someone else jumped in. He was like, yeah, I mean, you think about it. If, you're a, if you have a baseball player who has a 300 batting average, that means they're failing 70% of the time. Which in school would get you, you have to repeat that course. But in baseball, you might be a Hall of Fame baseball player, you know, with that kind of thing. And, and he was just basically saying, he said, for young people, he said, they, they don't like to fail. They don't know how to fail. When they play baseball, they have to deal with it. You have to come to terms with a low level of success. And he was talking about how, how formative that is for, for young people and, and, and stuff like that. It was, it was just very interesting to me. And I started to really think about that. Um, about how, how we really aren't coached very well in life and how to deal with different kinds of failure. Um, but you kind, of, you kind of cope with it in your own way, I guess. And it's formed, I guess, by parents and adults you know, in your life and coaches and teachers and all these kinds of things. But um, one, of the, one of the things about it is just it's very timeless, uh, it doesn't really have boundaries that you go anywhere around the world and people are trying and failing at things. And, um, you know, if, if you were to make a list, and I did this with my community group this past week, we kind of just listed all the areas of life where you can fail or have failed. And uh, it was kind of comical because we were all telling stories about how, you know, we've tried things and it was, turned out really, really bad. But uh, here's like a list of, that came out of that focus group. Um, Sports, of course, you know, like that's, uh, we've all failed to do that. The, the first time I, I got into a freshman basketball game at Central High School, um, I tried to take a shot, and the guy, he not only blocked the shot, he put it literally in the top row of the bleachers. And I'm pretty sure that my mother was the one that had to, like, go up and retrieve it. Um, it was bad. Um, we fail at sports. We fail at music. Um, we, we do. Um, we fail at school. Uh, I one time, once in college, I made an eight on a chemistry test. Uh, out of a hundred, in case you were wondering, um, took a W on that one. Uh, we fail at uh, relationships. Uh, you know, we've, we've all had that, you know, that just disastrous relationship at some point, whether, 
whether it's someone you dated, someone that you are just like really good friends with, and everything just kind of like all fell apart. Uh, Somebody was saying the other day, we're talking about like how it's awesome that there are actual like people who married their high school sweethearts and they're super happy, but the majority of us are like dodged the biggest bullet of all time by not marrying my high school sweetheart. Um, we've all had those relationships. We've, we've failed at work. You know, we've all had jobs that we just couldn't do uh, where you just try and fail and try and fail and eventually you're like, okay, I got to do something else. Um, we've, we've had uh, leaders fail us. Um, some of you have tried to lead things, and you've just been a flop uh, at that. We have moral failures. We've, uh, we have hobbies that we fail at. Uh, the, a great like, thing, like Facebook is terrible, I think. But uh, one of the redeeming things is like when someone puts up this golden link that just makes your day. One of them is, uh, it's like Pinterest fails, where people like, try to like, duplicate stuff on Pinterest, and it turns out to be like, the most hideous, horrible thing that you've ever seen, and they just post pictures uh, of that. Uh, we all have had hobbies that we've tried to do. Um, we've, you know, some of us have like, are horrible failures when it comes to like, drawing and painting and stuff like that. Like, can't even like, paint a wall. You know? like, some people are that bad at, at painting. There's just so much stuff that we try and do, and it, we just come up short a lot. And so some of those things are actual failures. Like, I actually failed that chemistry test. Um, some of them are just perceived failures, you know. Like, you feel like you, you failed someone, or you, um, from your perspective, you didn't live up to your own standards and that kind of stuff. And, uh, so, you, so we're going through life, and we're, we're trying things, and there is some success, but there's a lot, there's just a lot of, like, no, that's not, that's not how it goes, you know, kind of stuff. And, um, it's one thing to... Um, it's one thing to figure out how to deal with these kind of failures on your own uh, and, and to kind of arrive at your own conclusion about how to get through it. Um, most of us kind of form these, what's been come to know around the ring is just false narratives. James Bryan Smith wrote a book uh, that just talks about how life teaches us all these, all these le- like lessons through our experiences and stories. And a lot of times it's teaching us stuff that isn't true. And so we, we have a tendency to buy into these things as a means of coping with the fact that sometimes we just fail at stuff. Uh, it's one thing to apply a false narrative about yourself to a sports failure or a school failure. Um, it's really, really different to apply that same false narrative when our failures are in the areas of obedience, you know, stewardship, uh, trust, um, missional living, pursuing holiness. It's one thing for Peter, who grew up a fisherman, like maybe he had a bad day of fishing. If he applies the same narratives about himself from a bad day of fishing to this instance that we just had, then he's going to be a disaster of a person inside, you know? And maybe some of us, a part of our hang-up is because we've really never learned how to deal with uh, the, the try and sometimes succeed, but most of the time not totally succeed aspect of life. And as you're following Christ, this is the most important thing about us. There are going to be times when you set your mind to something and you pray, and you depend on Him, and you're doing all the, th- like, all the disciplines are there, your thinking is there, everything is there, and you make some commitment, and you don't follow through on it. And so now you're on the other side of a similar situation with Peter, where you're like, Jesus, I'll never do this again, or I will always do this, or I will, whatever it is, and then you don't do that. And now you're on the other side of this situation, and you're kind of like, what do I, how, do, what do I, how do I deal with this? What do I do? A lot of what we know about God that we've been talking about, a lot of his attributes, a lot of what we know about ourselves, what we know about the kingdom, what we know about the gospel, all these things factor in when you're sitting there, and you are just like, yeah, I messed that one up. And I'm not sure what to do about it. So... Um, Rather than just transferring the narratives that school and sports and all these things teach us, rather than transferring that onto our walk with the Lord, I think we need to, we need to work in the other direction. We need to learn what it means from Jesus' perspective when, when we come up short. 
Maybe failure is too harsh of a word, you know. But when we said, when we've made some sort of pledge to Jesus, and then we failed to follow through on it, what are we going to do with that? Maybe we need to start there and learn how to do that well, and then apply that to other areas of life as well. Because the same truths uh, bleed into life going the other direction. Um, so, uh, let me list off a couple of things. Uh, it's actually kind of a long list, so if you're a note taker, just don't even try. All right? Um, I was uh, telling some folks yesterday that one of the things that I do in trying to prepare uh, opportunities to teach or just in, in my own understand, just trying to understand different subjects and stuff like that is, is I, I make a list of um, coming out of Romans 12, like the patterns of the world that we don't conform to, and then patterns of the kingdom based on what we know about Christ. And I, I like to kind of like A-B those things, you know, like a one side of the paper is... Uh, all the ways that like that a, a world impacted by sin views something and thinks about something. The other side, the the kingdom that Jesus invites us into. What does that have to say about something? And then I just kind of look, you know. And my prayer is, help me get from one side of the page to the other side of the page. You know, like that's what that's what sanctification, I believe, in part looks like is is him moving us from a worldly mindset to a kingdom mindset, and that transforms our lives. So here's some, um, again, coming out of that community group discussion, here's some patterns of the world that maybe Peter uh, is dealing with on the other side of this shortcoming that maybe you can relate to, maybe I can relate to. Um, maybe he feels the need to find an excuse for what happened. You know, Like, maybe the girl that asked him the question, oh, she, well, she didn't ask me very clearly. I didn't know what she meant, you know. Um, that guy, that guy, he was really mean to me one time. I just didn't feel like dealing with him, you know. Uh, find some excuse, someone to blame, uh, some reason why that happened. That's not your own fault, you know. That's a pattern of the world with failure. Um, there are a lot of things tied to identity. Maybe, maybe Peter's sitting here thinking, I knew I wasn't good enough to follow Christ. I knew it. I always thought it in the back of my mind. I was kind of worried about it, and this confirms it. Uh, I, I'm a failure. Not, and that's not limited to like, oh, I failed that. It's I am a failure. You know? It's not just a semantic thing. There are times when you fail at something, and you're like, I'm the worst. Um, or kind of you're in, in processing it. Maybe he's sitting there being like, what does this say about me? You know? I promised Jesus this. And then I denied him three times. What does this say about who I am? That's a pattern of the world that could be followed. Um, another one, uh, maybe he's like, yeah, I, just, I didn't try hard enough. I didn't put enough effort into it. Um, how can I dig my way out of this? How can I, how can I fix this? How can I make this right? Um, what do I have to do so that it never happens again? You know? That's my vow. I'll never, I'll never do that again. You ever been in that cycle with pursuing holiness, you know? Some pattern of sin that you're struggling with, and after, after uh, you know, choosing to participate in that thing again, and afterwards you're, you have all this regret and all this whatever, and you're like, that's it, Lord. Never, ever again. Except for like 30 minutes later, you know, that kind of stuff. That's a pattern of the world in dealing with failure. Like, that's the, that's the solution is a, a, a more intense vow. You know, a more dramatic stance against it. Um, maybe he thinks that he is in the doghouse with Jesus until he fixes it. You know, or maybe with the other 12, something like that. Um, maybe a sense of finality, you know. Like, maybe he's like, man, that, there's no coming back from this at all. There's no coming back from it. Um, maybe a sense of karma, you know. Maybe he's trying to figure out, like, okay, what did I do that this happened to me? What did I do to deserve it? In processing our failures, sometimes that's, that's the way that our minds go. It's like, well, I, mean, I can see why this happened because I haven't tithed in like six months. And God's so mad about that that he, had to, he just had to let this happen. You know, he had to let me fail that test. You know, it's, it's my fault. I, I brought it on myself. I earned it. Uh, that's a pattern of the world. Um, Maybe he, just, maybe he just wanted to quit. He was like, that's it. Done. 
I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I'm tired of failing. I'm just going to quit. Um, maybe he's worried about what the other ten disciples are going to think of him. He ain't worried about Judas anymore. So down to 11. So he's like, man, what are the other guys going to think? I hope they don't find out. I hope they don't hear. I hope Jesus doesn't somehow like, tell them, you know. What are they going to think of me? Um, maybe there's comparison in there. Maybe he's like, you know who would have never denied him? John. Never. That's probably why Jesus loved him. He never would have done this. Maybe he just shuts down, refuses to talk about it. You ever failed at something and like someone tries to check in on you, you're like, nope. Never again. But put it, just put it in this little compartment, close the lid, pretend like it's never there. Never bring it up again. Um, maybe finds a, find, find a way to justify this as being like not really that big a deal. You know? Like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I could have done this, or I could have done this. Or, you know. Maybe he says, you know what, I guess I'm, I guess I'm just kind of always going to be this way, so I might as well embrace it. I'm going to always be weak. You know, I'm always going to be, you know, I'm always going to be this guy who failed. I'm always going to be the guy who denied Christ after he promised he wouldn't in front of everybody. So I'm just, I just better, I may I'll just own this character flaw that I have, you know. Um, maybe there's shame. Maybe there's hiding. Maybe in his mind there's kind of this snowball effect of like, well, if that happened, then what if this happened? And what if this happened? What if this happened? And you ever had such a, such a, a battle with like personal holiness and obedience and all these kind of things that and you're in your frustration, you don't know what to do, and your mind basically ends up to where you convince yourself that you're not really a Christian. I've been there. I know a lot of you have been there, because I've been a part of, like, uh, praying for you or talking with you about it. I know how that is. Where you're like, man, if I was really a Christian, then I guess this wouldn't be happening. That's a pattern, that's a worldly pattern of thinking, uh, because you're not processing that experience well. Uh, that snowball effect. Uh, maybe he just grew numb to it. Um, maybe he just put on a happy face and just pretended, you know. Maybe he just went back to the other ten and was like, what's up, guys? What y'all want to do next, you know? Maybe he just became really fake. Maybe he thought, like, he, that he had just let everyone down. And maybe the most compelling one for me is probably the sense that how mad Jesus must be at him. You're sitting there in this shortcoming, this failure, whatever label you want to put on it, and you're like, I bet he is so mad, or sad, or the ultimate, disappointed. Assuming that Jesus feels a certain way about him because of that. And I could be here forever, probably, listing Ways that we have learned to cope with these narratives and these failures and these experiences. And parents, you need to teach your kids. You need to teach them how to fail and how to deal with it. And talk your way through it and remind them of what's true about them. And remind them the kind of, the kind of weight that comes with certain things. School carries a certain amount of weight. Relationships carry a certain amount of weight. Sports, the arts, all these kinds of things. Culture sometimes says that it should carry more or less weight than we know that it should. And so, you, parents, you have to counter that. You have to teach them that. But, first and foremost comes you as adults dealing with your own stuff. You know? It's you learning how to process your own failures and shortcomings with the Lord. And then you can disciple them. And maybe they'll avoid some of the stuff on that list. I've said it some, a lot of times over the years, but maybe one day one of your kids is going to grow up and they're going to start dating someone and that someone's going to turn out to be a scumbag and break up with them and they're going to be all sad. And maybe in that conversation they're able, they're able to say something as a teenager along the lines of, you know what, I'm really sad and this, this is kind of a bummer, but it'll be all right. I know who I am. I know who defines me. I know, I know where my worth lies. I know, I know all these things. And so maybe to help your 
kids and not end up as a puddle on the floor of emotion one day. Uh, maybe realizing that the first step for us as adults is for where we get a good grip on it. Now maybe you, I'm not trying to assume everyone is terrible at this, okay? But I know going around all the groups this summer and talking about fear, the fear of failure was in every single one of them. Failure as a spouse, failure as a parent, failure as an employee, failure in, uh, as a student, failure in whatever and everything, um, from the practical things of life all the way to uh, your relationship with the Lord, all across the spectrum, we're really afraid of failing. Maybe it's because we have a wrong way of thinking about it. So you have this, all these patterns of the world in regard to failure, but the, the kingdom of God flips all that stuff right side up. And so how do we know, how do we know how to deal with this stuff? Well, as usual, we can look to Christ, and he sets the tone. He helps Peter process his own failure in chapter 21. So flip over there. Um, let's look at a few things that we can learn from the way that Christ deals with, uh, deals with Peter. We'll start in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. All right, so one, one thing that we know at this point is that they've gone back to the family business. They have no idea what to do, really. They left the family business to go and follow this rabbi who was just killed. Um, and they think he might be uh, raised from the dead, but they're a little skeptical because that's impossible, right? And so, but they've gone back to work in the family line of business. And so, in some ways, we see already how Peter is coping with this. He's going back to what's familiar. He's going back to what he knows. Um, and all the other guys are like, well, we don't know what to do. Let's just... I don't know, let's revert back to something, you know. Um, Verse 4, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. (laughs) Thanks for rubbing it in. You know, we caught no fish. Uh, He said, Cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. All right? Now, we don't know why he did this. Talk about a freak out, you know? Um, Once he realizes that that's Jesus there, maybe he was just trying to, like, hide. Maybe he didn't know what to do. I kind of think that he was... Like, I ain't waiting for the boat to drift in, to sail in. I think he dove in and maybe was, like, headed toward the shore. There's something in him uh, that, that perhaps he had, this is just me speculating again, perhaps he had, was so tired of being ashamed. That maybe he was like, I'd rather know than not know. Maybe he was just super pumped to see his rabbi, to see his Lord. So he jumps into the sea. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about 100 yards off. Uh, When they got out on dry land, um, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid down on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now these, could, it could mean the fish, you know. You love me more than the family business. It could be could mean than the other disciples, you know, like, do you love me more than they love me? Or do you love me more than you love them? It could be a number of things. Um, and uh, 
Peter responds, he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Let me tell you four things that I think help us process failure that we can see by the way that Jesus handles Peter. And I believe he handles us in similar ways, if not exact ways. Uh, Similar enough to be able to use the word exact, I would say. Four things. The first one, uh, Jesus calls Peter by name. He uses his name. He's not like, hey, do you love me? And that might not seem like an important detail, but it's huge. I mean, names in, uh, in this part of the world at this time, they, they were used to talk about character, and they were used to talk about destiny. This is a, this is a personal moment. It's, there's an intimacy that's there. There's an intentionality there. It's relational. He doesn't give him the silent treatment. He pursues him. So with them all sitting there eating breakfast, he singles him out. His, Jesus' assistance, I guess, and us processing our failures is very, very personal. So when you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out, like, what, what is going on? Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep struggling with this? Why is stewardship of time, of money, of resources, of, my, of gifts, of calling, of people, why, why is this such a difficult thing? And you're trying to figure it out. For Jesus to call him by name should not be lost on you. It's a... There's a personal tenderness that's there and a care that's there. And I know, I know we emphasize that a lot around here. You know, we talk about the 23rd Psalm and all these things are there. And it's because it's true. But for some reason, when you feel like you have failed him, it's, it's like we have earmuffs on in regard to him calling our names. You know? And isn't that the way? You know, if, if you have failed one of your friends, aren't you, don't you tend to kind of shy away? Aren't you kind of ashamed? Aren't you... Uh, Isn't there like tension there and awkwardness there sometimes? And so you tend to like avoid them. And so here Jesus pursues Peter. He goes to the shore where he is, uh, gives them some fishing advice, prepares breakfast for them, calls him by name, and intentionally and personally reinstates him. The processing of our shortcomings is no different. And so I think, for me, it is an encouragement that when you're on the other side of some sort of failure to obey, don't run into the woods and hide in shame. Maybe dive off the boat and swim to the shore and, like, let's do this, you know? Because Jesus is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of what you've done. He's not embarrassed to call you his. He doesn't regret dying for the sin that you committed in that time. He's one who pursues. And so to join him and cooperate with him, in a sense, is incredibly important. We see it here. I think we see it in our own lives. Second thing. All three times, Jesus' question centers around love. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me? Instead of condemning Peter, Jesus goes back to the basic foundational tie. Think think about how massive that is. 
He's not like, all right, well, Peter, let's talk about what you did. Talk about how wrong you were. Talk about how offended I am. Talk about that being exactly why I had to go die. Let's look at these scars on my hand. My side really hurts. Let's talk about it. Let's make sure you feel good and sorry. And then we'll reinstate. No, he goes, he goes right, right to love. That this was not about Peter's failure. It's about Christ's love. Have you ever sat in failure and thought about that? I, I can't say that I have. But I want to. Instead of all the self-condemnation and all the false narratives we pile onto ourselves, Jesus goes back to the basic foundational tie that he has with Peter. And he knows the answer. He knows that Peter loves him. And that's what he decides to focus on. That even in the midst of our shortcomings, Jesus knows that, he knows that we love him. He's far more understanding with us than we are with ourselves usually. And I think far more understanding than, than, we instinct, than our instincts tell us that he is to us. So we have to go to the scriptures to see the accurate picture. So when you've made some sort of pledge, some sort of commitment, and you're striving for holiness and in the, in the moment that's there, you choose your own way. That's what sin is. For a Christian, you know God's will. He's made it clear. And in the moment, you choose yourself. You choose your own path, your own whatever. He knows that you still love him. He knows that you just chose yourself. He knows that you got your love out of order. Instead of it being you love him first, then you love others second, you, you, you know, you're third or further down. He knows that all that got jumbled up and you loved yourself and your own will and your own way more in that moment than you did him. But he's not sitting there being like, well, you don't love me at all. If you did, you wouldn't have done that. He knows that Peter loves him. Peter's not really convinced of that. So Jesus is drawing Peter into what's true by asking him, the most brilliant question. Do you love me? And in answering that, Peter had to work his way through and process that failure and be like, yeah, I do. I made a bad decision. But love doesn't get thrown out the window. It doesn't negate his love for him. It just shows that he got things out of order. And Jesus, Jesus graciously meets him in that pain and in that moment, his mercy and his goodness basically just smother Peter, you know? Like in the 23rd Psalm, his goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And the language that's used there is it's a, it's, it's almost like, it's one of like, um, tracking someone down to like destroy them. That Jesus tracks Peter down in order to destroy him with mercy and goodness. Think about that the next time you're processing your failure with the Lord. Underline that verse. Memorize that one. Write a song revolving around that one. Do whatever you need to do in that moment to realize that that is what's happening So the first one, he calls him by name. The second, he's focused on love. The third thing, he entrusted Peter with care for people. But do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Would he do that if Peter was uh, outside the circle of trust? No, he wouldn't. If Peter's failure had ruined his gifts and his calling and everything that God had for him, Jesus would not have said, all right, I want you to take care of my people. You don't entrust something to someone unless you trust them. It's part of it. So we see that Jesus, Jesus has moved on. 
Peter has not moved on. So Jesus is basically helping Peter get on with it. So we got, we got stuff to do. There are more important things going on. So as great as uh, fishing is as a vocation, for Peter, that's not what God had for him. Like, so get off the boat, leave the family business again. The last, the last line in, the, in that section says, and fo- follow me. He even, he even says, he even like gives another prophetic word about his life. He says, yeah, you're basically, you're going to die as an old man. Your death is going to glorify me. Because you know, he talks about, like, now you do whatever you want, but then one day someone's going to have to help you. He says he, he said this in order to show the death by which he would glorify God. Jesus puts him back on the trajectory that God had him on. Failure tends to knock us off of that because we tend to be kind of like Adam and Eve. You know, like after they messed up, they like were hiding in the woods, you know, afraid. And God's like, let me make you some clothes. Let's, uh, let's deal with this. You know, you broke the world, but it, it'll be okay, you know. Well, guess what? You didn't break the world. You didn't. Peter, he didn't break the world. In fact, the whole world was going to be changed through him. So Jesus, in a personal way, calls him by name, focuses on love, and then entrusts him with the very people that Jesus just died for. Will will you let God reinstate you like this? Will you, will you confess to him that you messed up? Will you repent of the sin that you engaged in? Will you, will you turn your life? Will you change the way that you think? Will you present your body as a living sacrifice to him? Will you do all those things as a part of getting back onto the path that he has for you? That's, I think that's a part of why this is here for us. And this is not, this is not the kind of thing that's like, oh yeah, every now and then you really, you really got to get a good repentance in there, you know? It's like, no, this is daily taking up your cross. Like, this is, this is life in Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. It's every day. Well, if you, are refu- if you don't know how to deal with your failures and you're just, like, taking, taking it up in however way you want, then no wonder we're so frustrated as the American church. A few years ago, John Piper preached this sermon at uh, the Passion Conference. So there's tens of thousands of college students there. And he preaches a whole sermon about how their inability to, uh, to know how to deal with sexual failure is keeping the gospel from reaching the nations. You know? At first you're like, whoa, that's a big statement. But when you, when you read the transcript of the sermon, you're like, man, it's, it's not just failure in that area of life. It's so much where we just end up thinking we're the worst. How could God ever use me? And so Jesus is putting Peter back on track. He's already died for that sin. He's already died for your sin, for my sin. Last thing. The charcoal fire. Seems like a, it's like a, you know, weird detail. Look back at verse 9. When they got out on dry land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. So why, why is that significant? Well, you might remember that the first denial happened around a charcoal fire. So I think, and again, maybe I'm wrong. If so, I'll apologize to you on the new earth. I'll track you down and say, I'm sorry, the charcoal fire thing, I was way off on that. But... I think this was Jesus' gentle, perfect way of communicating something deep to Peter. Of saying, I know what happened. Can you imagine failing Christ, going over to a charcoal fire, which we know like it has a distinct smell. And then the next time that you see him, there's a charcoal fire. Maybe there's like this like, connection in his brain. Maybe that's Christ's way of kind of like being like, I I know what happened, and I'm not okay with it. You know, like, I'm not saying like, oh, that's no big deal. 
God's never going to tell us that our sin is not a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's like, kill your only son as a sacrifice, big deal, you know. So he's not like, oh, no big thing, but what if that was Jesus' way of gathering? You know, they're all there, they're eating, and maybe, what if, what if they caught eyes at some point, and he was like, I know what happened. It's not okay. But it's going to be okay because of what I've done. What if that was his gentle way of bringing conviction and healing at the, at the same time? That's the kind of God that we approach in our failure. God is not, he's not your dad, you know? If you failed a test and your dad just like flipped his lid, God's not your dad. If you tried to play sports and your coaches and stuff like that just gave you the hardest time ever every time you failed at something, God's not your coach. Whatever authority figure that shaped these weird narratives within you, he's, that's not him. He wants to reorder the way that we think about things. The identity issue that's revealed here, we see this charcoal thing. The identity issue with Peter is not that he's a failure, it's that he is dependent. It exposed that. And so maybe that charcoal fire was a reminder of how much he needs Christ. So maybe our failures are really sanctifying experiences with God. Maybe in his hands, failure is not the worst, but the best, because we become sharper and more aware and more dependent upon him. Maybe our abiding is spurred on more deeply by failure than by success. So maybe it all comes down to stewardship of those experiences. So, I don't know where this lands with you. I never do. But, you're going to fail at something. Maybe it's with the Lord, and maybe it's with work, maybe it's with school, maybe it's with a relationship, and maybe it's as a parent. At some point, we're going to experience failure in all those kinds of things. Well, let's learn, you know. Let's learn together. Let's learn from Jesus. Let's, let's deal with this well. So wherever it meets you, he knows, and uh, there's goodness there. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we did this a few weeks ago, and I, th- I think it was a good thing. Um, got a lot of feedback just about an appreciation for just kind of there being some flexibility in times of response. And so when it's appropriate, we're going to, we're going to do that, and so we're going to do the same thing tonight. Um, we're going to we're going to have some music, like we usually do. And, um, so maybe for you, maybe standing and singing some of these things is that's what you need to do. Or maybe you need to sit and listen or whatever. Uh, so that's an option. If you want to come down here and kneel and pray, we're going to open up this area. Uh, not that it's closed, but you know what I mean. It's open now. Um, because sometimes we need to physically like get out of the get out of the pew and walk down the aisle and kneel and sometimes putting something physical with it is it just kind of stirs things up in a good way. So maybe that's what you need to do. Um, one of our elders, uh, Adam Zapp, is going to be down here. There's going to be a table for communion, and um, this is the kind of communion where like you break it off and you dip it in the cup. So don't like try to drink the cup because we got germs, you know. Uh, so you tear that off. And so maybe, maybe for you, an acknowledgement that Christ has covered that stuff is what you need to do. Maybe stepping to the communion table and saying, yeah, th- this, this whole topic just reveals a lot of need in my life and a lot of gratitude for the grace of Jesus. The fact that he's covered the things that maybe you're ashamed of. That, and, that, and that he empowers your efforts to pursue holiness. And so that'll be an option, or you could do a combination or whatever. But you see, no, there'll be some movement around the room, and that's good, and that's okay. Whatever you feel like you need to do, it's wide open. All right? So um, let's stand together as the band comes back up. Would you pray with me? God, we are thankful that um, 
that you are so uh, gentle with us. And even in times where there is a, just a lot of discipline and correction and that kind of stuff, you're never uh, a tyrant, you know. Thankful that for those who had uh, tough examples with mothers and fathers or teachers and coaches and all this kind of stuff, we're grateful that you are the perfect father, the perfect teacher, the perfect friend. The, you're everything that we need you to be. And I'm just going to assume that we all need help in learning how to fail well. So help us to move maybe from embracing some of those worldly patterns, those narratives that are filled with lies and deception. Help us to move from that side of the page to the other side where we understand how the kingdom works, we understand how you work. Where we uh, sink deeply into the fact that you have already paid the price for those sins. And may that drive us into a, a deeper commitment, a more um, just a stronger drive for holiness and obedience and all the things that we, we deeply desire. I pray, God, that um, you would help us in these next few moments, whatever form of response we take, uh, that you would use that in our lives, that you would maybe bring some healing, that perhaps through taking communion or kneeling to pray or standing to sing or maybe just sitting to listen, uh, that that would be a good thing, that you'd help us to not rush through this or not worry about whatever's next for tonight, but that we would maybe have that um, maybe a similar experience that Peter had, that you would reinstate, that you would offer healing, that perspective and truth. And that you would help us to continue to cross from death into life and um, that perhaps this could be a game-changing thing for us. Not only for us, but for our friendships and families and marriages and homes and neighborhoods and city and beyond. So this is your time, not ours. Just have your way among us.